And if you have your Bibles, we are in Acts chapter 10 today. We're, we're really just going to jump right into it here. Uh, we ended last week, Acts chapter 9, with uh, Peter being involved in a couple of miracles, a couple of healings, and then he ends up um, staying with a man named Simon, who was a tanner that, that lived by the sea. And then we pick up in uh, verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, that at Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So before we get any further, there's this man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a pretty popular name uh, back in uh, 82 BC. There was a Roman official who freed slaves and naturally many of those families started naming their sons Cornelius and then they started naming their sons Cornelius. Uh, so it's a pretty common name. He's a centurion, which means he's a captain over uh, about 100 men uh, that, that he is in charge of. We're told that he's a good guy, uh, right? He's a, he's a generous man. It said he gave alms, so he didn't just have a heart for the poor, but he's actually, he's compassionate. He's giving to the poor. He's a man who fears God, right? There's a respect for Israel's religion, expect for, uh, respect for Israel's God. He had a, a sensitivity towards God. We're told that he prayed regularly, um, though he does not know who this God is. And we're also told that, that he's respected by the Jewish people. Verse 22 really is a, a good summary of Cornelius. It says, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. Um, but nothing in Luke's description helps us to know yet if Cornelius is saved. And, and, and maybe... Maybe Cornelius sounds like a person that you meet out and about, right? A neighbor or a coworker or somebody in the store and you're talking with them and man, they're nice, like just good person. And maybe you find that you kind of think similarly and you wonder like, man, does this person know Jesus? Well, let's, let's see what else is said. Verse 35, Peter later says, he says, but in every nation, anyone who fears him, being God, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So what does Peter mean uh, to say that people like Cornelius that have a sensitivity uh, towards God, that they're trying really hard in life, trying to be a good person, uh, maybe they, they pray, they're, they're trying to do what's right, that they will go to heaven. So is that, is that what we think about Cornelius? Because he fears God, does that mean that, that, that someone like Cornelius that has this reverence for God, this, this respect of God, a, um, a sensitivity towards God, who's a, a really good person in the community, is that person automatically saved? Wouldn't you say that's kind of the default religion of our country? It's, it's the default view. If you, if you don't grow, and, uh, grow up in, in any type of church, my, my guess is that this is where you would end up. But actually, even people that, that do go to Christian churches might end up holding this, this belief system. That, yeah, if, if someone's good, if they're, if they're genuine, if they're kind, if they're generous, if they own up to at least their big mistakes in life, they're considerate of others, they have some kind of like belief or, or respect of God, then, then yeah, they'll go to heaven, right? You go to most funerals and, and that's what you're going to hear. But is that the gospel, right? That if you're sincere, if you have this reverence, 
that, that if you try and be really good, that you will be saved. Well, the story, uh, as it continues, we come to realize, no, Cornelius is not saved. Uh, Luke knows that. Cornelius knows that. Peter definitely comes to understand that. Um, and, and really throughout Acts, I think it, it, we can go to multiple places and see this is true. We'll, we'll start, though, later in this passage, verse 43. It says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So it's clear that, that to, to be forgiven, you, you have to believe in Jesus, right? That's how the forgiveness of sins comes. Um, later, in the next chapter in Acts uh, uh, 11, 13, and 14, um, it says this, it says, and he told us how he had seen the angel, this is Cornelius, stand in the house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. And then it says, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So Cornelius, he, he will come to understand that he's not saved. Let's go way back though to Acts chapter two. You might remember at Pentecost, there are Jews from uh, all over the place that are gathered and it describes them as devout men, right? Just, just like Cornelius is described. And then you might remember Peter preaches and it says that they are cut to the heart and they respond in verse 37, these devout Jews, they say, what must we do? You know what Peter doesn't say? He doesn't say, you guys are doing great. You are killing it. Keep it up. Right? Be sincere before God. Just whatever you know about God, be sincere before God. No, he doesn't say that. He says, repent, believe. And these are devout men, similar to Cornelius, who, who are not saved. They needed to repent and believe. And you could argue, I think, that in the world at that time and in Acts 2, that there were probably no more devout people than the Jewish people, right? They had a, certainly had a better understanding of Yahweh than, than the rest of the world, and yet they still needed to repent and believe. So I think it's actually really clear in the book of Acts that Cornelius is not saved. Let's keep going, verse 3. It says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers, your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And this is a critical moment for the early church. And this is really the question that the early church battled, that they wrestled through. It's, is Christianity and therefore salvation is Christianity for Jews only, or is it for both Jew and Gentile? And Gentile just meaning non-Jews, right? So most of the world, right? Probably every one of us in here, or at least almost every one of us would be considered a Gentile. So did Jesus come to save all who would trust in him, no matter where they're from, uh, no matter what their ethnicity is, no matter how rich or poor, no matter how they were raised, whatever distinction you can think of, did Jesus come to save anyone who would respond to him in faith? And the early church wrestled through this Jew and Gentile question, right? Could, could both Jew and Gentile be together in the family of God? And then, like, what does this mean about the food laws? What does this mean about the law of Moses? How about circumcision and, and Sabbath? So Luke sees that this is a pivotal moment for the early church. And so much so 
that this story is, is retold, at least in part, three different times. Luke tells it, then Cornelius retells it, and then next chapter, chapter 11, which will be in next week, Peter uh, retells the story. And when a storyteller repeats something over and over again, they really want you to listen. They're saying this, this matters to the story. So for the most part today, we're going to look at Cornelius a little bit, his household, but, but we're not, we're not thinking much about the, the whole Gentile world, what this means for the whole world, but we're going to look at this one Gentile in particular. And you might remember, and actually I mentioned at the top of the sermon, that Peter was staying at a man's house named Simon. He was a tanner who lived in Joppa, about 30 miles away from where, uh, where Cornelius lived. And last week I told you that Jews would not associate with a tanner, let alone stay at a tanner's house. Not only did they find their job uh, of tanning animal skins gross, uh, stinky, repulsive, like it, it was just beneath them to associate with a person like that. They, they made tanners live outside of the city. Uh, I told you last week that if a woman was engaged to a man and then came to find out that he was a tanner, she could break off the engagement, which was equal to, to like a divorce. So, uh, so God, though, was working on Peter. He had been preparing him. And, and don't you see God doing that in your own life? He's so good to prepare us. There are things in life that, man, that we come up against, and it just feels like we hit a brick wall, or maybe like we were pushed off into the deep end. But my suspicion is that when we take some time and look back, we can see God's providence we can see God's work in, in, in preparing us for whatever that difficulty is, whatever that hard season in life is. Even if it still feels like God just pushed us into the deep end, man, God prepares us. And God had been preparing Peter for what was coming. God had softened Peter's heart earlier. We, we read about him uh, seeing that the Samaritans were coming to know Jesus. God has softened Peter's heart enough to see that this tanner, who, who maybe just weeks or months before, there's no way he would associate with him, but now he sees that this tanner loves Jesus. So not only is, is he willing to associate with him, he's, a willing, he's willing to be a guest in Simon's house. And in chapter 10, God will make it very, very clear to Peter that, that Peter is free to not just go to the Gentiles, but preach the gospel, to share the good news with the Gentiles, and that Gentiles who receive this good news will be received into God's family. So let's see how God continues to work in Peter. So after the angel departs, uh, Cornelius, he calls two of his servants. He sends them to find Peter in Joppa, about 30 miles away, verse 9 in chapter 10. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry. He wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice saying to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And maybe you remember from the Old Testament, there are all of these ceremonial laws that any good Jewish person would follow. 
But now Jesus had come. He was the once and for all sacrifice offered to anyone who would receive him as Lord. And he had also given the command to his followers to take the gospel to the nations, right? To all peoples, to all ethnes. So the, the, the food laws had been lifted, um, which in turn also meant that this, this barrier to the Gentiles was gone. Verse 15 the voice came to him uh, again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once into heaven. So three times, right? God is making sure that Peter very clearly sees what he's supposed to see. Making sure that he very clearly hears and, and, and has no doubt about what he heard. In this vision that Peter has, uh, we, there are two main takeaways for us, right? The food laws had been fulfilled in Christ, and Jesus makes that clear in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 7. And this also means, the second thing, is that people are not unclean or common. And, and even though the, the vision, uh, as, you, as you hear it, as we read it, doesn't make that incredibly clear uh, to us, Peter makes that connection later, and we'll see that. So the vision ends, Peter's processing what he just saw, what he just heard. And at that moment, the men sent by Cornelius show up to the house uh, that, that Peter is staying at. And they're asking, is there a man named Peter here? Verse 19, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, there are three men looking for you. Rise, go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to, uh, to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them, Peter invited them to be his guests. And we might miss that last sentence there and the, the significance of that. But Peter's inviting these non-Jewish people, these Gentiles, to be guests in the house that he's staying at. And we'll see in verse 28, Jews, and, Jews were not even supposed to associate with Gentiles. But God, like I said, has been working on Peter's heart. God is going to break the door wide open for anyone to come to him. This has always been God's heart. This has always been God's plan. Picking up the rest of verse 23, it says, The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted it up, him up, saying, Stand up. I, too, am a man. So Cornelius gets up. And they're talking, they turn the corner, and Peter sees, man, Cornelius has invited all these people, right? He's gathered his, his close friends. He's gathered his family to hear this messenger from God. In verse 28, Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why have you sent for me? So Peter explains to these Gentiles why he came right away. And I wonder if some, as they had been waiting in Cornelius' house, 
if they didn't really believe that Peter would come, because certainly they knew how Jews felt about Gentiles, how they treated Gentiles. And Peter tells them what he's heard, that the Hebrew God has told him that no person is unclean. And I just wonder, as the people heard that, how did that prepare their hearts? It was, how shocking was that for, for this, this apostle to say, no, God's told me there is no unclean person. Right? So this ought to make it very, very clear for us as believers that there's no one that we should hold the gospel back from. There's no one that, that is unfit to hear the good news. Right? It doesn't matter their personality. It doesn't matter their history, their upbringing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how sinful their past is. It doesn't matter their IQ. It doesn't matter, uh, it doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter their politics. It doesn't matter what they do for work. It doesn't matter what they, they look like. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter their ethnicity. None of these things matter. Right? We are not to imitate the priest and the Levite from the story of the Good Samaritan who passed by on the other side of the road just as far away as they can. We do not write off any person. No one is too far from God. We don't call anyone unclean or common or unfit because God doesn't. The gospel is for anyone who will listen and respond. In verse 30, Cornelius retells what happened four days ago. He'd been praying and he sees this man dressed in bright clothing God said, I've, uh, God said he's, he's heard his prayers and remembered his alms. And then he was instructed to send to Joppa for Peter. Verse 33, he says, so I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Man, like what a dream scenario as a Christ follower. Like that is setting the table for you to tell people about Jesus. It reminds me of a story I heard about. There were missionaries in the Middle East, uh, and a part of their regular ministry was uh, they would, uh, one night they would prepare uh, just a ton of food and, and give it to families that they knew uh, needed food. Um, but this particular night, Man, they had, they had extra. Uh, people didn't need it or people weren't home or, or whatever. So they're, they're calling. They called all their regulars, and then they get to, like, their, their, their next level, their backups. And then they call the backup backups, and, and they've still got just one meal left, and they, they do not want it to go to waste. So one of them says, let's just go knock on doors. Like, let's, we got to get this to someone that, that would be blessed by it. So they're knocking on doors, and people aren't home or others aren't answering. And, and, and then uh, they come to one door. And they knock, and, and the door opens just so fast. And, and, and clearly, the guy who opened the door was excited to see them, almost, almost as if he'd been expecting them. And the missionaries offer some food, and the man standing at the door said, man, we've been waiting for you. It's so good to see you. Come in, as if he didn't even hear about the food. And the missionary said, what do you mean you've been waiting? And the man said, it had a dream. That, um, that God was going to send someone to tell them about him. And, and the man comes into the house, the missionaries come into the house and, and turn the corner, and bam, it is full. The house is packed with, with this guy's family and, and his friends, right? Very similar to Cornelius. And, and so this missionary got to share the, the story uh, of God and his people, to share about Jesus coming to rescue sinners and these people that have been waiting. 
Man, a ton of them accepted Christ that day. Well, Peter had a little more preparation than the missionary did. God told him to go. He knew God was at work. So verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Cornelius was not saved yet. Peter needed to share the gospel with Cornelius so that he could repent, so that he could come to faith in Jesus. So what does Peter mean, though, here when he says acceptable? Well, there, there's, there's, uh, there's several possibilities here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three. It could mean that uh, someone like Cornelius, no, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what nation they come from, that... that that he, they can come to know God through Jesus, right? Just like the Jewish people, uh, that someone like Cornelius could come. Anyone could come to learn about God and trust in Jesus. That's a possibility. Another possibility is acceptable could be um, referring to the, the person who accepts Christ. Like if, if I were to ask you, and you're not thinking about this passage, like who's acceptable, acceptable before God, you might think, well, okay, it's someone that, that has come to faith in Jesus. They've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. That's a person who's acceptable before God. That's another, uh, that's another option. Uh, last one I'll share is, is acceptable, could mean that, that God recognizes from every nation those who fear him and, and are, are, are looking for God. And God reveals, uh, God works to reveal himself to them, right? He sends to them messengers so that they can hear the gospel and respond, right? They, they aren't saved yet. They need to hear the gospel, they don't know God yet, and they need to hear the good news so that they can believe in him, so that they can come to know and understand this God that had previously been unknown to them. And, and verse 31, I think, is helpful in this. It says, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Cornelius was someone who had not yet heard the gospel, but there was a sincerity in, in his praying, in his seeking after the true God, and, and yet he didn't know how to respond. He, he didn't know who this God was. So what was acceptable to God was, was this wanting to know the truth about God. And we aren't told exactly what his prayers were, but it seems like part of that prayer must have been, God, send someone to me. Send someone to me that can teach me about you, that can tell me the things that I need to know. I'm not satisfied in not knowing who you are. And God answered that prayer by, by working miracles, right? We, we think about, he, he gives Cornelius this vision and Cornelius sends the people and, and, and Peter's vision uh, happens. And, and at, the, at the time that that ends, then Cornelius' men get there and there's been this softening of Peter's heart towards the Gentiles already that God had been doing for some time. And God heard his prayer. God deemed it genuine and he responded by sending. I think that that's happening here. And what we do know is that God is saving people all over the globe today. There are still many, many people groups in the world that remain unreached. And at the same time, that number is getting chipped away at year after year. There are more Christians right now in the world than in any time in human history. Okay, verse 36. As for the word, and this is Peter uh, preaching the message here. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. 
beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who'd been chosen by God as witnesses. And he commanded us, uh, or sorry, uh, who, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is critical. Jesus is everything. He is the one who the Father has appointed as the judge. So this default American belief that if, if you're just a really good person, right, if you believe sincerely, if you, if you even pray sometimes, uh, then, then, then it's going to work out for you. You're going to be made right with God. Man, that, 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 that does not jive with the gospel that does not lead to forgiveness of sins. That does not lead to, to knowing our Lord. We know the Father by knowing Jesus. He's, Jesus is very clear about that in John. Jesus is God. He, he's the one who shows us the Father. We come to verse 43, and this is the point of Peter's sermon. He says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And belief in Jesus is everything. Those who believe receive forgiveness of their sins. In, in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 12, Peter says, there's no other name by which we are saved. And Cornelius needed to hear that it was Jesus that could forgive his sins. This is what he was praying to find out. And God had sent Peter to him so that he could believe. And then God makes it abundantly clear to Peter and the Jews that came with him that God accepts the Gentiles in verse 44 and following. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, right? They're just blown away as they see this because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. And we notice that baptism here, it's commanded by Peter. Right? This is part of following Jesus. Man, I want to invite you, if, if you're a follower of Christ, but you haven't been baptized yet for any reason, let's talk. Uh, if there's something that's holding you back, I'd love to get creative with you so that we can get you baptized. And I know that getting up here in front of people, like most people do not enjoy that. That's the, probably the last thing that you want to do. Uh, it can be really, really intimidating. And, and years ago, I don't think that, that I uh, have been as helpful as possible in, in getting people through some of the barriers that they have in, in getting baptized. But if you trust in Jesus, 
hey, let's talk. Let's figure this out. The last baptism I did, Pat and Dawn, I told their story for them so they didn't have to speak into a mic. You know, we did a little video for them. We, we want to make it easy for you to decide to take this step of obedience to Christ. Uh, at the end of the summer, August 28th, we're, our service, our plan is just to celebrate what God has done. And I would love it. If, if part of that celebration was, was baptizing some people. So if you're interested, come, come talk to me. We'd love to help make that happen. There, there are so many ways, I think, to respond to this passage. I'm going to give you just a few. One is we have to recognize that God is at work. And that should be obvious to us. But I, I do think that as Christians in America, it's pretty easy to be discouraged. I think it probably has been for decades, but, but even maybe especially over the last couple of years. And this is especially true in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, we live in, in one of the most secularized parts of our country. So sometimes it can be hard to believe that God is at work because maybe you just feel so countercultural or, or maybe Maybe even like within your own family, in your own household, you just feel isolated because you believe in Jesus. But I want to encourage you that God is at work. He is at work all over the world today, including our little part of the world. Christ, Christ is drawing people to himself. Right? The, the Lord is uh, arranging. He, he's, he's, he's drawing people to himself. He's working in hearts of those who don't believe. And at the same time, he's working in believers who, who will be ready to share like, like what we saw here. And, and we do have to recognize the gospel has to be shared. Right? The story here, there are multiple miracles that happen, right? As the Lord speaks to Cornelius, Peter has a vision. The timing even of the men showing up just after Peter's vision. The Lord telling Peter, like, go with these men. Right? All of this is miraculous. All of this is work of the Spirit. Right? We, we'd, we'd probably love it if, if our testimony, like when we get baptized, like had some of those things in it. But as amazing as those things were, those are not the things that saved Cornelius. It, it was hearing the gospel that saved Cornelius. It was hearing it and responding in faith to the good news. So the, the miracles are great. Praise God for those. But it's the hearing of the gospel that needed to happen for Cornelius and his household to respond to Jesus. Romans 10, 14 says, how is someone going to believe if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So I wonder in the, in the upcoming days, will, will God give you an opportunity to be like Peter, to share with someone like Cornelius the good news? Someone maybe it's just been genuinely wanting to find out about who God is. And will you respond like Peter, right? Don't hesitate when God gives you opportunity. And I'm not promising that, that just if you don't hesitate, then that person right then and there will give their life to Christ. Like I said last week, that the sharing of the gospel, sometimes it's, it's like a, a pebble in a shoe, Right? And, and for some people, they, they won't be able to ignore that, that little gospel pebble that, that you've put in their heart and in their mind. And God, at the right time, he'll use that, that interaction that, that at the time didn't seem like it went well to you at all. But, but God will use that because he's orchestrating this person's life for them to come to know Christ. So will you, will you in faith step out and, and be willing to be like Peter? Or maybe you're here today or you're watching online and, and you're actually more like Cornelius. Right? You've been going to church, um, 
maybe, maybe not your whole life, but you've been coming for a bit because you've come to realize that there has to be something more in life. You've come to realize that, yes, there, there must be a God and you want to know him. Or, or maybe you're like Cornelius, but in a different way. Maybe, maybe you are devout. Maybe, maybe you've spent your whole life trying to do good things, trying to do even Christian things. You do have a reverence for God. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long, long time, but you, you realize as we go through Acts that you've never repented. You've never put your trust in Christ. And if that's you today, I just invite you, don't, don't be embarrassed, but come to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Final application in this passage is that the church, which certainly includes our church, needs to send Christians to share the gospel to those who have never heard. Right? We have to be a part of that. And we, we already have some missionaries that we support that are working with unreached people groups. And, and that is great. But I sincerely hope that someday, we're, like we're celebrating on a Sunday, we're praying because we've got some people that, from our church, from our body that are going to a place that is yet unreached, where, where people have never yet heard about Jesus Many of you know uh, one of our global partners, uh, David and his family, and I won't share their last name since this is online, but they're in India. And uh, he, he had heard about India. They'd been thinking about missions, knowing that they were going to be missionaries. He'd heard about India, but was really turned off to the idea of ever going to India. Uh, but, but David had learned about unreached people groups. Um, and and maybe, you, maybe you already know this, um, but the... Uh, the church, the global church, sends really a disproportionate amount of missionaries to reached people groups, right? Places where, where there's a, 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 a lot of gospel presence, where, where people can hear about Jesus. So an unreached people group is uh, less than 2% of those people uh, are Christians, right? So the chance of, of many of them even bumping into a Christian, let alone hearing about Jesus, is almost none. So there are about 7,000 uh, unreached people groups um, and, and in some ways, that number actually might not seem like, like it's that big. But the problem is those people groups, those 7,000 people groups, represent 3 billion people. Right? 3 billion people, almost 40% of the world population that really have no chance at hearing about Jesus until some go. So there are approximately 400,000 missionaries in the world right now, meaning uh, Christians that have they purposely moved somewhere else to share about Jesus. Well, only 3% of the 400,000 are in areas of unreached people groups. 3%, right? And, and the other places where we're sending people, man, those people need to hear about Jesus too. I'm not saying that at all. But man, we're only sending, the church is only sending 3% to those who've never heard, to this 3 billion people. I don't know if that bugs you. I hope it does. It, it bugged uh, David, right, who, who, uh, who's in India, he found a map of unreached people groups, and, and, and he said he just couldn't help but notice that, man, India has just tons of unreached people groups. And, and, and the map just like burned this image into his mind. It was all he could think about. And, and after some time, him and his wife and his family, they decided, okay, we're, we're going to India. Right? I think they've been there like six years now. And this last year, they actually moved further up north. Like they loved where they were. Lots of good ministries happening. But they, but they realized if they moved a few hours up north, it was a more strategic area. There were more unreached people groups. If they went that way, they'd hit unreached people groups that way, that way. Everywhere they went, there was more opportunity to reach unreached people groups. 
And there are people like Cornelius all over the world that God is stirring in their hearts to seek him. They're, they're praying to God. Some of them are asking God, would you send someone to me to tell me so that they can know the truth, believe, and be saved? Man, I want to be a part of that. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you that the good news is for all. We thank you that, that we are included in that all. That, that in your goodness, Lord, you, you had someone explain the gospel to us and actually probably over and over again before we, before we received it, before we believed, Jesus, that we needed you. God, we praise you for that. We praise you that you were doing that in the world. And God, we, we pray that we would be a part of that. Lord, you, you told us to, to pray that, that you would raise up labors for the harvest. God, would you do that? And would, would we be included in that, God? Would we, would we be a people that can get over ourselves, get over our fears, whatever it is that, that keeps us from, from sharing? Lord, would we just be hungry to tell people the good news that, that, that changed us? Lord, would, would we be so eager for, for friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, even strangers to, to hear about you, God, that, that we, we just wouldn't be able to shut up about you, Lord, because we just love you. Because we know that, that you, you are everything. And without you, there is no hope. God, would we, would we be ready to be like Peter? Lord, I pray for friends in the room, people online, that, that maybe they're like Cornelius. And, and maybe today they hear about you, and it's almost like they'd never heard about you before. Jesus, would they respond to you? God, would you give them faith? Would you help them to believe in you and to walk with you, Jesus? It's in your holy name we pray, amen.